Well, good morning, Rock Harbor. Uh, as John Link said, I'm John Elliott, and uh, I'm on the elder team here, and uh, I get the chance to share with you this morning. I'm a business guy here in town, uh, married to Robin, and have two kids, Rachel and David. And uh, as of next weekend, once we, uh, once we marry off our son, uh, we will be officially empty nesters. And uh, uh, I like that. So... Uh, in any event, so we're looking forward to that, but I, I get to share this weekend. We had fun last service because today is a special day for Rock Harbor. Uh, as John Link said, we're going to be launching the venue, and so this morning we did the first kind of multi-site video uh, thing that we've ever done, and we actually have all these cameras in the back now, and it kind of looks like a press conference. And I got to look right into one of the cameras and say, hey, everybody at the Hub, we're so excited to have you here. And everybody gave the Hub a shout out, and, and uh, it was kind of cool. I have no idea what, what I'm doing, but we, uh, we faked our way through it. And, uh, and so it's really cool because today is Orientation Sunday at the Hub. And so about 100 people are going to be are meeting over there, and they're kind of working it out and getting ready. And if you're new to Rock Harbor, you know, we have continued to see uh, growth. There are more of you here today than there were a year ago. And, uh, and you know that we have plans ultimately to build a building, and, and we're moving towards that. Um, but we're trying to be sensitive to God's timing in that. And so in, in the interim, uh, because we want to continue to make space, uh, we've decided to use some of the space at our offices that we maintain during the week and turn that into a church on the weekends. And so we have this picture. We actually finished up the staff elder retreat uh, Saturday. So this is us there on Thursday night. And, uh, and so it kind of gives you a little idea of what it's going to look like. And, and uh, there'll be a seating for about 150 people, and we're going to run two services. And then there's children's programs there, uh, and so we're kind of excited about what that's going to be and open up some more space, and, uh, and we'll see where that goes. But our ultimate desire still is to build a building, but we don't want it to be about building a building. And so we want to just walk this through as, as we sense God is leading and, and be good stewards of what we have. And so that's, uh, that's what we're doing, and we're excited to see that launch and see where that takes us uh, next. So that was this morning, and, and we're excited about that. So if you will, will you pray with me, and we'll, uh, we'll jump into 1 Corinthians 14. Father, uh, so much going on, and, and uh, we just really want to follow your lead. We want to be patient and intentional and to know exactly what you would have us do as best uh, as we can. And so we want to glorify you. We want to lift your name. We want, to have, we want everyone to understand that, that we proclaim the name of Jesus. And, uh, and that is what we are about, and that is what we want to do. And so may all of our plans align with what you would have us do. Uh, we pray now for our time together over the next few minutes that uh, we can hear clearly what it is you would have from us uh, from Scripture today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, you know, I think maybe it's just as you get older, you can, you, and you're on the leadership team and you look at all these young kids who are leading worships and ministry and everything else. And you're like, man, they're doing such a great job. I love watching what they're doing. And, and I love that I'm not here at 6am setting up. And, uh, and so do you, right? Uh, and, uh, because they have so much energy and I don't, um, but it, it's awesome to watch. One of the things that I'm really uh, excited about a rock harbor that we've done from the beginning, and, and maybe you don't know this. And so I want to share a little bit about what happens in our children's ministry, our kids, what happens in our, our middle school, which is slingshot, and then what happens in our, our uh, high school age, which is anchor. 
And, and one of the coolest aspects of that ministry, I think, is that uh, adults step up to be uh, mentors and small group leaders. And so we're going to show some pictures just of people who are doing that, not to, you know, necessarily draw attention to them because they don't want it, but just for you to see what it looks like. And, and the cool part of what we do is that when you agree to do that, we want you to walk through several years with the same group of people, same group of kids. And so if you come in in middle school and take on seventh graders, besides being crazy, we really love you. And we, uh, we appreciate that you will walk through life with them for the next six or seven years as they grow older and hopefully graduate, which you as parents want to see happen. And, uh, and so it's a cool thing because those people get to speak into the lives of your kids day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. They go to their sporting events. They hang out with your kids. They, they get to say some of the things that you are just dying to say to your ninth grader, but maybe you shouldn't. And so they get to say it instead and your ninth grader actually hears them. Uh, which is a cool thing as well. And, and I love that fact that we have people who want to pour into the lives of kids as they progress through that process. But imagine, uh, if you will, that uh, you're one of those leaders. And maybe for some of you in here, you are one of those leaders. But imagine that you've kind of walked through that path with a kid over several years, and you've loved what you've seen, and, and that kid graduates and and. Uh, high school and goes on to the military or goes on to college or other schooling or, or they get a job and they, and they kind of, you know, do what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to kind of go out on their own and, and uh, you're excited for that and you keep praying for them, think about them once in a while, but eventually um, word comes back to you. And the word that comes back is that, you know, that kid that you poured so much time into maybe isn't making some great choices. Maybe they've, uh, you know, kind of decided to walk a little bit away from their faith, or maybe they've made some things a priority that aren't necessarily something that you would say should be a priority, and, and your heart is heavy for that kid. You see posts on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, and you can see that kid's not moving in the direction I was hoping that he or she would. And so eventually, what do you do? You decide, okay, I got, I got to say something. I, I got to reach out to that kid. And so you reach out, you text them, maybe a phone call them, I doubt it. But, you know, you have some kind of communication with them. And, and you remind them of some things. And you say, you know what? You know, I, I love you. Remember the times we had together? I loved being your leader in anchor. And I love the growth that I saw. And, and I just, you know, I just want to remind you of who God is. And, and I want you to make the right choice. And I want you to know that, remember, you can trust God no matter what. First Corinthians is really almost the same thing, just a little older. You see, this is Paul's letter back to the church at Corinth. And sometimes I think we lose sight of that. Sometimes, you know, it's the Bible, it's a bunch of stuff, and we lose sight of the reality of the humanity of what was going on here. And what was going on here is that Paul had spent time in the city of Corinth with a group of people who were fledgling in their faith, who were starting to understand Jesus' death and resurrection, and who were trying to kind of figure it out. And Paul spent maybe a year and a half there, maybe more, and, and he lived with them, and he loved them, and he poured into them everything he had come to understand and know, and he cared for them, 
And this letter, inspired by God, is a letter back to that church from Paul because he gets a sense that they're maybe moving in the wrong direction. And so pick it up in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 4, because the language is different, but the heart is so similar to if you were reaching out to a kid. Verse 1, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Jesus. Some versions say, I think of you often. I think of you daily, and I give thanks for you that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, God is faithful. Remember that God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Paul is reaching back now. He's gone on to another church. He's gone on to plant another church, but he's reaching back into Corinth and he's saying, look, remember me? I love you. I care about you. I saw what God was doing in you. But as a leader, as the leader who might be reaching out to your kid, you know, it's nice to say, I love you. It's nice to say, I care about you. But at some point, Maybe you got to lean in a little bit. Maybe you got to start, you know, expressing some truth. You know, maybe it, it goes something like, hey, you know, I've heard some things. Now, in my life, anybody, any conversation that starts with someone saying, hey, I've heard some things, it's usually not going to go real well, right? Um, and, and so, it, I, hey, I've heard some things. And I was reflecting on that this week, and, and I remember when I was in fourth grade. It was a long time ago. We had black and white television and no remotes. And, uh, and I remember uh, my dad, uh, who was a great dad, a loving dad, uh, you know, awesome dad. But my, I remember my dad walking in one day and saying, hey, I've heard some things and we need to talk. And I'm like, great. And, and so we sit down and my dad says, hey, I've heard that you might have misappropriated some funds from someone. I stole, okay? I stole, all right? I heard that you stole some money, all right? So if you want to leave now, if you want to judge me on that, that's fine. I heard you stole some money. Okay, what did I say? Well, of course I lied, all right? I lied right to his face, but eventually, because my dad is very clear, uh, he helped me to understand that I had not done something that was appropriate. Uh, and I won't go into details of, of how I was uh, persuaded that I wouldn't do that again, but let me say that I was persuaded that I won't do that again. And, uh, and so Paul is kind of in the same spot, and if we pick it up in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, he says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Is there anyone named Chloe here? Anyone named Chloe? Okay, good. We can make fun of Chloe's people then. All right. I don't know who Chloe is, but all I know is you don't want to hang out with Chloe's people, okay? Because Chloe's people will rat you out, all right? Chloe's people will give you up to Paul just like that. And so Paul is saying, hey, I've heard some things, and I appeal to you brothers by the name of Jesus that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And so that's the setup for 1 Corinthians. And what Paul has heard from Chloe's people is that, you know what, there is disunity, and and they're not getting along. And there's a lack of discipline, and there's a lack of purity in that church. 
And, and there's, if last time I was with you, you might remember we talked about lawsuits between believers and, and they're suing each other and, and there's all kinds of things going on. And so the first 10 or so chapters of First Corinthians, Paul's dealing with those things. He's getting after it and he's saying, I've heard some things and honestly, I don't really like what I'm hearing and I really want to encourage you Let's make some changes. Remember what it was like when I was there, there, and let's get back to that. Then in verse 11, Paul shifts a little bit. And he says, okay, now I want to talk about how we worship, and specifically about spiritual gifts and your role in the body. And that's 11 to 14. And he wants us to understand that he encur- he, he's encouraging them to seek spiritual gifts. Understand that you have gifts but that you're a member of the body and that each person in the body has a different role and a different gift, but we're all in this together. Then he gets to chapter 13. And so if you were here two weeks ago, you saw our vow renewal service. How many people got to see the vow renewal service? Yeah. All right. And I don't know which one you probably went to the 930. That makes sense. Uh, So I don't know which one you saw, probably 930. I saw uh, all four. And, uh, and every one of them was just sweet. And that was, I think that was like a top five day for Rock Harbor. That was such a cool day. And Keith talked about uh, this chapter, and he talked about the, the love chapter, as they call it. And, uh, but, but as I've studied this week, I've come to understand that this, this chapter has a lot of application, but it really is speaking to how you and I get, get along how we live out the life of being part of the church. And so let's read a few verses out of chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And the word choice, and, and so this is where I think it's really important for us to understand. The word that's being used here for love is agape. It's agape love. And, and it's easier to understand agape when we understand what it's not. Okay, um, I, I saw all the pictures on Facebook and Instagram and stuff last night. I think half the valley went to homecoming last night, and they're all dressed up. Okay, agape love is not whatever it is that they feel. Okay, so that gooey... Whatever a 15-year-old feels towards somebody else at this point, it's not that. I, we don't want that, okay? We want to avoid that, but, you know, that whatever, roman, I guess we could call it romantic love. It's not, it's not romantic love. It's also not the love that you feel for a close friend or a relative. It's not that love that you get because, you know, we, we really know each other well and, and, and you know, we're related. Um, agape involves ideas of faithfulness, and commitment, it's, it's, uh, it's an act of will. It's, it's, it, the, there's a notion of character to it where I am choosing to love. I am choosing to be patient. I am choosing to be kind. I am making the decision that I will act in a certain way and I'm going uh, gonna to be consistent with that as a matter of of character. And so when, when Paul writes in, in chapter 13, love is patient and kind, you don't get to like rely upon how much you like the other person. 
He's not saying, you know what, that person is so cool and it's so easy to love them. Just love them. Just be patient with them. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this is a choice that we're going to make as believers. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But it's kind of the, the shadow that now sets over chapter 14. And we know there weren't chapter breaks necessarily in the original letter that Paul wrote. That would be kind of odd. But it is the shadow that's cast over what we have as chapter 14. And so the first two words in chapter 14, Paul says, pursue love. Pursue this agape. Pursue this decision to be patient and kind. Pursue love. And the word that's used for pursue is, is an interesting word. Um, it's, it's got the connotation of hunting after prey. It's, it's going after something uh, so stridently that you're trying to track it down. It's, it's that kind of pursuit. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what's happening this fall, okay? Um, how many, if you're new to Idaho, you may not have experienced what is about to be thrust upon us. You see, it is elk season in Idaho. All right, and I, I, just full disclaimer, I, I'm not a hunter, okay? I, I, I'm not a hunter. I just don't do that, but I love people who do, and, and that's okay. In fact, I'm curious um, I want to, and you don't have to like totally give yourself up, but if you're a hunter or you're related to or live in a house with a hunter, if you uh, go, if you've ever seen somebody shopping for hunting gear, if you've ever bought hunting gear, if you've worked at a store, if you hate hunting gear, how many people have been affected by elk hunting? Just raise your hand. I just want to see. All right. Okay. So. We're all in this together, okay? And, and so what's coming is the greatest onslaught of pursuit that you will ever see evidenced in Idaho, all right? And, you know, I mean, and it starts early. Uh, there's camo being bought. There's, you know, guns being bought. There's all kinds of stuff. We're checking the ammo. We're rechecking the ammo. And, you know, got to get the RV ready. You know, I might need a horse. So I got to get the horse ready. Uh, and, and then there's months of anticipation and preparation. And, and I, don't, I, I don't fully get it. Honestly, I don't. Like, they break it into sections. So, like, at the start of the season, I think all you, and that's like now, all you can use is, is like a spork. Okay, you know that thing you get from like KFC? Right? And, and so in zone 3B, from these dates, you can hunt with a spork. All right? And, uh, and then you go to like a pocket knife, the, you know, the one with the corkscrew in it and, uh, that no one here uses. And, um, and so, and then eventually, you know, we move up to like a bow and arrow. But I think it's, the first one is the one with the rubber tip on it, and then you actually get a hunting arrow. And then you go to a muzzle loader, is that right? Muzzle loader? And you use a muzzle loader, and then eventually, I don't know why, but, you know, at the zenith, when everybody is in completely crazy, then you go out into the woods with a, a high-powered rifle. And, uh, and, so, and so that's elk hunting, and if you've never experienced it, the other thing you'll get is uh, you'll see people at church huddled in a corner, grown men crying and, uh, with phones, and they're looking at pictures of elk. And, uh, and, and so... I think that is the connotation, and it's hard. It, that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, pursue love. 
pursue love at the level at which you pursue, pursue elk. Um, and so you'll notice we didn't put that on a slide. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that that's really biblical, so you'll have to see they're leaving now. So we're, uh, <laughs> we're in trouble now. Give me the hook while you can. That's Jody, and she's on staff, so she probably had to go. All right, so this idea of agape, though, this idea of agape love, it wasn't new with Paul. Paul didn't come up with this. We can actually go back uh, into John, and we can, we can read the story of Jesus. And, uh, and it, it's the, the night of the Last Supper, and Jesus uh, is with his disciples, and we all know that story. And, and, uh, and Jesus has taken uh, and put a towel around him, and he's washed the feet of his disciples. And, they, and you know, Peter's protested that, and, and it's been an interesting process. But they, the disciples have experienced the man that they believe to be Messiah now kneel and wash their dirty feet one at a time. And I, I envision that it was probably really quiet and, uh, and really a tender moment between Jesus and his disciples. I don't know. Um, but, but at some point, Jesus then uh, turned to these men and he said, I have a new commandment for you. And I'm afraid sometimes that this passage has lost its meaning for us because we've seen it so many times. But I think at that moment when, when Jesus stopped and he said, I have a new command. These are guys that, you know, I mean, they know the Ten Commandments. They know, you know, the history of all the rules, all the things of the law that, that their predecessors had followed in the Jewish faith. They knew all about commands and commandments. I mean, you know, it's probably at that moment Jesus says, I have a new commandment. You know, Matthew is pulling out his notepad and John's pulling out his notepad because this is going to be big and, and we're going to hear it. But, but Jesus turns to him and says, I have a new command. I give to you, John 13, 34, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now, you might say that doesn't sound like it was new, and, and it's true. In, Jewish, in the Jewish faith, loving your neighbor was clearly something that they understood had been, had been taught. But I think this was radically new, and it was incredibly different because of what Jesus says. I want you to love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And it was the start of something completely different than their culture had ever seen before. It's this notion of agape love. It's saying to his disciples, I want you to choose to love one another. I want you, in in some respects, and if I don't take it too far, I want you to bend your will to loving one another. And we all know Peter, right? You know, in, in modern parlance, we might say, you know, Peter was uh, uh, aggressive. Peter had, I don't know, issues maybe. I don't know what we would say. Peter was definitely a challenge uh, at times, and, and he was a man who lived from emotion. And I can just see Jesus saying to Matthew, Matthew, I want you to love Peter. I want you to care for Peter. I want you to be patient with Peter. I want you to be kind to Peter. And we know from church history that it is this way in which they love one another that contributed to a massive explosion of the church. 
as people in, society, in that society saw the way they loved one another, the church started to grow and started to expand. And it was the, the fire that Jesus ignited in that upper room when he said, I give you a new command. I want you to love one another. And so now we get to where we were supposed to be, and that is chapter 14. And chapter 14 deals with uh, a lot of information about speaking in tongues, and it, and it, it, spe- it talks about uh, prophecy, which I think uh, most scholars would say that the use of the word prophecy in this passage is about applying God's truths to people's lives. And, and Paul gives a very detailed discourse, and, it, and it's clear that this was the, the technicalities of this were a big issue for the church at that time. But as we look at it, and as we recognize that chapter 13 is the pivot point, I think what Paul is saying here is, look, I want you to understand that loving each other is critical here. And I want you to choose not to exercise certain gifts as a result of that. I want you to choose to act in a certain way in order to accomplish what we need to accomplish. And so let's look at some verses in 14 and kind of see if you see the way it's highlighted. Chapter 14, verse 1, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, sorry, jump down to 12, strive to excel in building up the church. Jump down to 16. If you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Jump down to verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, let each one, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all these things be done for building up. Over and over and over again, all the way to the end of this passage, Paul says, let's build up the church. Let's focus on building up the church. Let's be about building up the church. Let's do all things and let's be all things or let all things be done for building each other up. And I think what Paul is saying, and I think it's just kind of straightforward and right in front of us. Paul's saying, look, desire these gifts. Okay, I'm good with these gifts. I want you to have these gifts. But I want you to build up the church more. I want you to use these gifts when appropriate but I want you to choose to put them aside in order to build up the church. I want you to to have these gifts and pursue them, but I want you to care about each other. I want you to excel not in the use of your spiritual gifts, but in building each other up. I want you to change your focus from using those gifts necessarily to building each other up, to loving each other, to caring for each other, to be patient and kind with each other. I don't think there's a time in history, and, and maybe it's just because we're alive now, where this notion is more radical 
than right now. Most of us, many of us, watched what transpired last week in in Washington, D.C. And we watched the confirmation hearings of, of Judge Kavanaugh, and we saw it play out before us. And it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what side you're on, if you have a side. It doesn't matter uh, really, you know, who wins here or who loses here, because in reality, I think by some measure we all lost. I think we saw um, viewpoints that reflected that, you know what, my right to think and do what I want is strong. I can, I can choose to do whatever I want. I can choose to be whoever I want to be. I can claim whatever I want to claim. I can, I can attack someone if I think it serves me. I can do and be whomever I desire without regard for the person sitting next to me or the position they hold or whether they're worthy of respect or honor or if they're even another human. It doesn't really matter to me because... I want what I want. And Jesus and Paul are saying to you and me, when you walked through the doors of Rocky Mountain High School, when you chose to be a follower of Christ, when you became part of the big church or this church, when you chose to be someone who says, I am a believer in Jesus. You chose a different path. You chose in verse 1 to pursue love. In verse 3, to build each other up, encourage and console. In verse 4, build up the church. In verse 5, build up the church. In verse 12, strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 17, don't do something where the other person is not being built up. Verse 26, let all things be done for building up. You chose to pursue love, to be patient, to be kind, to not be jealous or arrogant, to not seek your own way, to not be all fussy when you're slighted or wronged, to rejoice in truth, to not be so set on getting your own way and to love each other. And as I look at this and I read about agape love and I understand, I I think it's too easy sometimes that we want to, you know, adopt uh, Romans 12, the transformation of our mind uh, happening through the work of the Holy Spirit and reading God's word. As I read this agape love, this is about us to some extent saying, I am just going to make a decision that as a brother or sister in Christ, as a member of the body, I am going to act differently. I'm not going to wait on God to convict me about this. I'm not going to use that as an excuse. I'm not going to wait for you to come and bring me a Bible passage that says I have to do that. I am going to choose because I have been instructed to agape you, to love you. I am going to be patient with you, and I'm going to be kind with you. And if you're me, this is a huge winner because you're a jerk, and now everybody has to like you. All right, and everybody has to be patient with you and everybody has to be kind to you. And I think that's awesome, but I think that's the message this morning of what Paul is saying. 
And he says it over and over and he gives us practical ways to do it throughout the New Testament. Forgive one another, Ephesians 4. Accept one another, Romans 15. Care for one another, Galatians 6. Encourage one another, Hebrews 3. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5. Bear with one another, Colossians 3. Restore one another, Galatians 6. Carry one another's burden, Galatians 6. Love one another, John 13, 34. You see, the hallmark of the church the point we can't miss. It's not about whether you're doing exactly what I want you to do or, you know, that person's acting nice or not nice or, you know, they're wearing the right clothes or doing the right things. It's will we choose to love each other? So why did I start with our kids and the leaders? Why did I start with those people that are mentoring kids and, and doing, uh, doing that? Um, I think it's illustrative of a point. The fact is that it is almost impossible, at least in my view, to love one another. It's, it's crazy, it's crazy difficult to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to, to act in love towards one another if all we're doing is sitting in rows. It's really hard to, to love each other when you're sitting there uh, and you know listening to me for better or for worse. It's really hard to confront each other, care for each other, when all we're doing is sitting shoulder to shoulder, maybe waving and saying hi as we come and go. And so if I can lean in here just a little bit, because I've been there. If you're just a spectator, if you're just kind of consuming but you haven't gotten out of your, you know, that place. You haven't jumped in and said, you know, all right, all right, we're going to join a community group. We're going to do that. Or I'm going to serve or I'm going I'm to spend time with people. You know, I mean, we all have our reasons, why, right? I mean, I'm too busy. You're too busy. Um, I don't have the right skill set. I got too many skills. You know, you're weird. I'm weird. You know what? We all have reasons. We all have reasons not to to let the guard down and walk in. But it's when we move into serving, when we move into community, when we move into circles instead of rows, when we begin to do life together, when we seek to build the church, that is when we begin to understand what it means to love one another. And Jesus went on and said in John 13, 35 to his disciples, By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. In this culture and in this time, in the reality of what we saw last week as just a microcosm of what's happening, people see you, Rock Harbor, and they see the way you love one another. And God's name is lifted high and the banner of Christ is clear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which uh, instructs us in so many ways and is still as applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago. Uh, Thank you, Father, that uh, Paul, faithfully inspired by you, wrote these words that give us guidance today. And I pray that we will be a people that love each other, that we will choose uh, to pursue love. Thank you for all that you are and all that you give us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.